welcome back to the Craft and Career podcast series that features conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries, where we engage our listeners with various approaches to craft and career and consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm excited to continue our conversation with Zoe Hunter, Managing Director for Yale Tsai City, Certified Life Coach, and Creative Entrepreneur. And welcome back, Zoe. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again, Derek. So it was such a pleasure opening up, you know, channels in the direction of where, you know, your background and your engagement through Sci City with entrepreneurship, with creativity, with exploration, but also yourself having this creative outlet, this creative background um, and trying to explore, you know, how to navigate those many channels as they sort of run together in certain ways. Um, so thank you for, for returning. Of course. I'm so excited to be here again. So I was wondering, you know, maybe we start there. Maybe we start in Sci City, known across Yale and cross nation now as, as being a hub spot for, you know, all this entrepreneurship interest. And at a research university like Yale, which is crossing lines all over the place between, you know, STEAM and STEM and all that sort of thing. So what kind of excitement and what kind of responsibility do you feel in, in tr trying to marshal the creative side of this, the, you know, allowing the space for exploration for those who might not on surface or initially think of themselves as being entrepreneurial. Tell me more about your role in helping creative students to identify. So one of the things that really drew me to this department when I first applied for the very first position here, Innovation Fellow, was their, their programming that is geared toward entrepreneurship, but also my desire to make it so that creatives, I, if you're freelancing, let's say, for example, also see themselves as entrepreneurs and also have some relevant programs and resources that they can tap into in this space. So, I mean, from the, my very first role here, I have just been tied to how can we make this a thing and how we, can we support some of the more non-traditional entrepreneurs? So I feel extremely responsible <laughs> for, for, for offering that, but I, I think it's exciting to get people's minds shifting to that. And also not only just supporting creatives, but also in the minds of students who are more entrepreneurial, getting them to see how important it is for creatives to exist within their ventures as well, right? Because right. as I said in the first episode, like content creation is an art. Writing is an art. Uh, copy editing and, and web content is an art. It's yeah. a skill set. And allowing those students who do see themselves as traditional entrepreneurs to recognize that as well is also a big thing that I'm, I'm been working on. So as a creative yourself, then, when you're meeting with students, when you're engaging with those, you know, whether they have already identified themselves entrepreneurially or not, or as you mentioned, from the other side, coming back around and convincing the, the, the standard entrepreneur to understand the import of creativity in the process. Um, how much does your own practice come into play? How much does your awareness and, and willingness to sort of open that space do you borrow that in and, and share that with the students you're working with? That's such a great question. I do. I think from a lot of the, the counsel I give to students who sign up for my office hours, for example, comes from personal experience. And it also comes from my familiarity of this space in the industry. I'm always kind of sharing personal narratives with people of like my own journey to the extent that, of course, it's relevant to them but also in just 
the program pieces and how we're creating programs and supporting creatives, I pull that from my experience and also from the community, right? We talked about in the first episode, the first uh, part of this is really relying on, on the community and just even bouncing ideas like, hey, from your experience, would this be helpful? And then tying that back into to what we offer to our creative students here. So definitely, I definitely call on my own recollection of my experience in the various kind of creative things that I've touched to inform some of our work. Also, our current innovation fellow who leads some of our creative programming was an art student here at Yale, right? So pulling from his experience as well right. as an artist and yeah. what, what, what he would need or what he identified previously that he needs or what he currently needs, right? So really pulling in those various perspectives to help us shape what we can offer. That's great. Yeah. And in our previous conversation, words that kept coming up again and again, you know, impactful, engaged in meaningful ways, Um, looking at it from the other direction as you, as you, you know, on nights and weekends and and the other room (laughs) that you find for your own creative engagement, how do you both balance and then, and then set sort of the appropriate priority for ensuring the impact or the you know, the, the meaningfulness that, you, that your work will be able to have with community. In, in some ways, it might feel it's natural when you're working through a size city and engaging in community and those sorts of things. It takes care of itself in some ways, not really, but like at least starts that process. How do you make sure that the same things are happening within your own work? Yeah, that's such a, a great question. I'm still figuring it out, honestly. This is, this is the piece of like the creative entrepreneur piece, right? And part of it is looking at it holistically, right? And so paying attention, for me at least, uh, I pay a lot of attention to my metrics on my website. What pages are people landing on the most? What blog articles are they looking at the most? So that if I do have limited time um, or limited space to create, I make sure that I'm creating in a way that, or, or creating the thing that my audience gravitates to the most, so that if I do have those mo- those lulls or those moments of silence, I at least know that I had given them what they wanted the most in the, in that moment based on my stats and analytics, right? So I, I spend a lot of time <laughs> prioritizing in that way, um, especially when it, it might be a moment where I'm up against putting out something that I want to put out, but that may not resonate with my audience versus putting out something that I know that they will need, I know that they will want, just because the numbers tell me that this is what they needed, right? So that's one thing. I think also kind of one thing that I've had to really master in terms of my time and what I am lending myself to, because outside of my own brand, I've also freelance written for (laughs) two digital publications, right? So also figuring out, is this a piece that would be better fit for one of those, those audiences instead of my own, mm-hmm. right? And Finding your market, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I try not to stifle too much what it is I want to say, right? If there's a particular thing I'm inspired to write in a moment, does it best align with my brand and what my audience needs? Or does it best align with one of those other two? And if it is one of those other two, great. If it's none of those, then is there something else that I need to be talking about in this moment to make sure I'm getting the maximum impact for the limited time that I have? Yeah. Now, that's so interesting, too, because that brings up this question just and the truly like kind of artist, auteur sort of personal voice level. 
do you end up at times based upon the priorities that you set taking projects and not erasing them, but, but moving them to the back burner, moving them into an archive, coming back to them maybe later when, you, when, when they've matured in some ways, like, is that part of your process? Absolutely. And, and for a long time, I've beat myself up, <laughs> beaten myself up about that. Cause I'm like, oh no, I want to do all of the things, <laughs> but it's so hard to realistically. So there are definitely some projects that have been on the back burner, but there are also projects that have come to the forefront that I didn't expect to, that I put a lot of time and energy into that have really kind of skyrocketed in, in ways that I didn't foresee, that I'm happy that, and in those moments, I should say, I'm happy that I put some of the other things on the back burner to prioritize those. But it is it is a challenge. It's a challenge to juggle it all because entrepreneurship in, in and of itself is a full-time job plus overtime, right? right yeah. So yeah, th- those battles I do have frequently, but they're necessary, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether through SciCity or yourself personally and in your engagement as a communications specialist and professional, do you have any advice for conferences and programs and events and things, let's say, again, students who might be interested in pursuing these sorts of things that they should have on their radar or know about? I know post-COVID, it becomes a little bit more complicated, but, but anything in that direction? Mm, that's such a great question. Nothing comes to mind right now, but it's only because because of the pandemic, as you mentioned, I've right. kind of pulled back from attending all those yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing really comes to my mind immediately for students who are interested for students of color who are interested in communications is Colorcom, which I've been involved in in the past, which is is dead everyone can join of course, but it's dedicated to communications professionals of color. So that's one thing that's always on the forefront of my mind. I think for those who are kind of exploring entrepreneurship, there's a variety of entrepreneurial awards and in events that students can participate in. CT Next is a leader in kind of entrepreneurship within Connecticut. So a few few of our students have actually won grants from them. Also, shameless plug, stay connected to the SciCity newsletter, where we post a lot of those conferences and opportunities on to our newsletter there, but nothing other than that comes to mind. No, that's, that's a lot. That's great. That's very helpful. And then, yeah, you mentioned analytics and social media. Could you give us the 101 from your perspective on young, your creative, uh, you know, content generator not has dabbled a little bit done mostly like the personal version of having the Facebook page or page or, you know, Twitter, that kind of thing, but, or mostly Instagram nowadays, I suppose, but, but what should they know? What should they be doing different? What should they be thinking about how they can, how can they be as mindful about the strat- strategic behind this as, as you have been? Yeah, great question. Um, pay attention to those analytics and not just view, but engagement. How many people are liking your posts? How many people are sharing your posts? How many people are commenting on your post? I think views, especially in the realm of kind of Instagram where they're going more towards video, super important, but paying attention to how many shares and likes and and other forms of engagement that you're getting is key because that stretches your reach. Also say it's so hard because these social media outlets are constantly changing the algorithm, but pay attention to the algorithms (laughs) and and how they're they're sorting the content that you're, you're offering. Interesting thing on Instagram, and I don't think Twitter has it yet. They might, but on Instagram, you can see where your most active audience or when your most active audience is online, right? So for me, it's usually like Tuesdays between noon and four. 
pay yeah. attention to details like that so you know yeah. when to post your content. That is yeah. extremely helpful too. Because you um, never could have guessed Tuesday. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, ever. You know, they capture things like your audience age and demographic. And even I'd go as far as to with my website, one thing I look at a lot is how are people accessing it, accessing this from my from their mobile, from their iPad, from the web, because that also changes how I design my website. And for the record, I also design my own website. So nice. all of the things, but paying attention to those details will really help you, especially when you need to prioritize your time in a certain way. Because when you know that information, you know when you need to be posting things. When you pay attention to the engagement, you're able to say, okay, this post about X did better than this post about Y. And I posted them at the same time on the same day. Maybe people just like X better. So now you're able to now strategically start posting more of X instead of Y, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah those details are helpful. And even just thinking of it in, in that kind of an approach is helpful. I mean, the, the exact thing you're finding will be different, right? But having the analytics be something you can extract and actually put into your own practice, I think is, is a really helpful way of, of framing that. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I would encourage people not to shy away from that. I know uh, analytics can be frightening sometimes, but you don't have to print out any reports. You don't have to download a whole bunch of numbers or anything like that. It's right there in graphs and, and mm -hmm. visuals right on the, the social media app. So to the extent that it's most helpful, please tap into that and allow that to guide some of your work. Any thoughts on how the different current you know, available and, and popular platforms lend themselves better to different kinds of content or different approaches? Yes, absolutely. And this is kind of the communications hat that I put on, right? Yeah, because yeah. I knew I was coming to the no. right place. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many different, different nuances. The first is that there are different audiences on your different platforms, right? The, the demographic on Facebook is different than the demographic on Twitter. The people who follow you on Facebook is going to be different most times than the people that follow you on Twitter, than the people who follow you on Instagram, than the people who follow you on TikTok, right? Yeah. So, so paying attention to where the, your audiences live and making tailoring your messages to fit that platform to meet that audience's needs is important. The other thing is paying attention to the point or the purpose of each social media platform and tailoring your content to that. So on Facebook, you might get away with more long form statuses or content. Whereas on Twitter, of course, there are character limits. So you have to be quick. Also on Twitter, the posts that do better are posts that also include images or videos. So making sure that if you want your posts to kind of rank higher, you're adding those other elements. And it can be as simple as a GIF, right? That people now post on there. Instagram now, which used to be for simply for photos, is now moving into the video space. So a lot of their higher ranking posts are IG reels, right? Which are kind of similar to TikTok. Yeah. And, and so making sure that you're tailoring your content to those different pieces. For example, you might have one thing that needs to go up. Come to this event on Friday might be the thing. How you post that on Facebook versus Twitter versus Instagram will and should be different. And so keeping that in mind as you're posting things, also knowing you don't have to recreate the wheel for each outlet. It, it can be as simple as tailoring the sentence in a different way 
or on one site just posting an image without additional context. Uh, so don't be worried that you have to create three different things for three different platforms all the time. They can really just accept some simple tweaks. All right. Yeah, it's extremely helpful. Do you fit TikTok into your social media platform? <sighs> Not me personally, but yeah. we are currently exploring having a TikTok for Sci City. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. I think I think this speaks, you know, this this like ages me and sets my generation, but like my TikTok is my children's. You know? It's <laughs> And I'm doing my best to try to understand how it's supposed to fit in, but I'm not sure I'll get there. So you Don't feel bad because I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> and it's funny, my friends are like, let's do TikTok dances. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're too old for TikTok. <laughs> uh, you know, we got to, we got to, you know, shift and, and you, you got to be aware of what, what all of those potential audiences are, are using. So. Absolutely. That moves me in, sort of in the direction of thinking where are lines drawn, and particularly in this case for a creative who's entrepreneurial. But the interesting thing about entrepreneurial, even even you know by its nature, like it has a business side to it, right? It has a organized, administrative. You talked about wearing different hats, right? Like any advice on that difficulty, right? Oftentimes, the more untethered creative the more potential creative, the less comfortable they will be with that landing themselves in administrative organizational um, business format, including things like analysis of tweets and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. how do you navigate that? And how would you recommend others try to navigate that space? Yeah, that's such a real uh, part of the journey. I would really recommend that people try to set up systems that are as simplistic as possible for themselves. You know, you do not have to create anything that other people are doing if you're not comfortable with it. And so when I say systems, for me, for example, I hate sales. I hate selling. I've never been a good seller. As an entrepreneur who, who offers coaching services, part of my work has to be selling, right? And so I personally created a, a sales funnel. <laughs> and what that looked like is I, I created this creative content piece, which is an ebook that offered some early guidance for folks who need to set some goals or who are working on something, kind of an outline of sorts that they can walk through where they can see my value but it's in, it's packaged creatively, which is like my gift. It's my thing, right? So I, I, I use that and I set up automated emails to follow up with them so that I don't have to remember to, to email them directly or I don't have to steward that. But it emails them directly. It offers them the link to book services with me if that's what they desire. And all of that is automated. So it removes me from completely from having to do that and also having to think about it, right? Um, so in, in any way that's possible that you can set up some systems like that, that would be helpful. Definitely do that to make it easier for yourself. I also tell a lot of people, if you can get help, whether it's a sibling or whether it's a friend <laughs> to do some of the things or think even think through some of those things that you do not have that expertise in or interest in, yeah. do so. Another um, example of community and the, the gains of community. <laughs> exactly, exactly. People have some really great strengths that are some things that you may not even thought about. Rely on those people to help you set up those systems so that you don't have to be too concerned with it and that it can run on its own. But it is responding to the emails and, and the scheduling yeah. and it can be a lot. But if you set up those things, I think it, it will be extremely helpful. I do think too, if there is an advantage to a creative pursuit 
having to be parceled into zones, right? Like nights and weekends and those sorts yes. of things. If there is an advantage to it, I do think it is the ability since you're usually wearing another hat, it's not that odd of a thing to just, okay, I'm now I'm wearing that, that business kind of hat a little yeah. bit longer as I've shifted towards like putting on the creative hat. I think that can help somewhere along the ways. Absolutely. And I, in, in the first part, we talked about scheduling, right? So one of the things I would do is like for the business part of it, the admin piece of it, I would set Fridays and that would be my admin day. So if I'm not creating on those days, I'm, I'm handling the business. I'm setting up the LLCs and the trademarks and responding to emails and, and all of that. So that you can put on that hat, like you said, you can say, okay, Friday is the admin hat day and, yeah. and that's what I'm going to do. And that has also helped so that it doesn't feel like every single day you're doing admin stuff and now you're burnt out. So one other word that came up a lot in our first, the first half of our conversation in different ways, but sometimes explicitly was empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Dear Queen and, and sort of like that part of your engagement, mm -hmm. how it fits in the import that it has, and in some ways, maybe how it floats between, in, in some respects, between sort of the, the business and entrepreneurial side, the communication side, and this creative, you know, space and somewhere on the on the edge. Could you tell us a little bit more about how that started, how it's gone for you, and, and where, where that is as, as part of your process? Absolutely. I'll never forget it. Um, I was working for the city of New Haven Police Department. I was not a police officer. <laughs> I was an admin and going back to my desire to create impact, I, you know, I didn't feel like I was creating impact. It was first, uh, it was entry level position, you know, getting my foot in the door, figuring things out, needed bills need to be paid. And it was a rough day. I used to go to this park uh, right near some water where I would just think and reflect again, part of my kind of writing practice, a lot of introspection and reflection. And I said, I need to make impact and I need to figure out, figure out how. And the idea of Dear Queens came to my mind. Now, prior to that, I was working with a high school friend of mine on her um, nonprofit organization and I was doing um, their strategic communication. So I was in kind of that empowerment space working with her. And so I said, you know, I need to create something for me that's mine that I, that I can lend myself to. And Dear Queens came to my mind and, and I told myself when I get back to the office, if I buy the domain name, that's that's the one. <laughs> and that's exactly and it was what available. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just so happened. Um, and, <laughs> and so I bought the domain name. I reached out to a graphic designer to create a logo. I was it was instant my decision to move forward. And it started as a blog because again, I'd been blogging for so long. I was 13 when I started. Writing has always been my form of expression. And I knew that if there was no other way I could empower people and create impact, it was through my writing. And that's how it started. Started writing articles about, you know, again, faith to me is very important and spirituality is very important. So uh, my initial posts were about kind of how do you approach spirituality in a practical sense, in a way that's not this mystical, magical thing, but that you, what steps can you take to actually embed this into your life? And then kind of branched into self-discovery and the role that self-discovery plays in personal development and how self-love plays into women's development and interactions and relationships and et cetera. And it really sprouted from there. And I had three podcasts. I, I went into merchandising um, and my tagline was like, wear your worth. 
like <laughs> self-love. And so I would create uh, pieces of, of clothing, t-shirts normally that have like little self-love sayings on them that people would wear. I got into philanthropy. And so I had a holiday homeless initiative where I would go to a women's shelter in New Haven and provided them with uh, self-love baskets around the holiday season. And one year we threw them a holiday party. So, so it, it took, it, it kind of transformed into its own thing, but it started with the only way at the time I knew how to reach people, which was through the writing. That's great. Yeah. And I, I love how it's a natural outgrowth yes. of both the gifts, right. That, that, that we talked about early on and, but also like maybe some of the the capacities that you've grown along the way on top of those gifts, right? Some yes. of those things that are related to career, related yes. to that thing that reaches for you, right? Yes. Like, and, and, and sort of defines and formalizes some of this. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Um, could you give me the uh, URL that I can drop into the, the notes for our audience? Absolutely. It's www.dearqueens.com. Great. And is that a pl- good place for them to go for that, but also to see some of the other um, engagements that you've been a part of? Absolutely. Fantastic. So this has been such a pleasure, Zoe. I look forward to continuing to work with you, collaborate with you between our office and Sci City, um, and just also keep an eye out for all the great things that you've got coming around the bend. Yes, absolutely. I, I will absolutely do the same for your work um, with this. Again, I'm so grateful for this invite, and I hope this conversation has been helpful for someone. Super helpful. I can guarantee that. Um, awesome. Thanks so much. Um, Thank and you. thanks again to Zoe and all of our friends over at Yale Sci City. Next week, make sure to come back round to talk craft and career with Sharon Loudon, artist, advocate, educator, editor of the Living and Sustaining a Creative Life series of books, and the artistic director of the Chautauqua Visual Arts at Chautauqua Institution. Until next time, don't be afraid to use the word career and always stay crafty. Mm-hmm.